When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind Stocks on the Move. I'm Corey Johnson, and today is July 23. This is episode 59. Well, just ahead, why the Boston Beer Company is finding hard seltzer pretty hard. And China threatens to turn some publicly traded education companies into nonprofits. And we have a fascinating look into surgery partners. Yes, the nip and tuck is big business. We'll be joined by Hood River Capital Management's David Swank. But first... Sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. We've got two choices here. I can yell at your smart speaker and say, hey, play the Drill Down podcast. Or you can yell at your smart speaker and say, play the Drill Down podcast. Try it. You'll like it. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We'll tell you the business stories behind the stocks to move. Joining me, as always, editor extraordinaire Ben Wilson. It's good to be on the mic with podcast host extraordinaire Corey Johnson. Oh, go on. Go on. No, really. Go on. <laughs> I think I'll stop there. All right. Let's get to it. Three most important business stories of the day. Number one, all right, the Biden administration citing and finding a Georgia poultry processor and three related companies nearly $1 million for their roles in a nitrogen leak at the plant that killed six workers back in January, as you may recall. The Labor Department announced these citations, 59 in total, on Friday, with the Labor Secretary Marty Walsh saying the deaths were entirely avoidable. Companies uh, fined were all private companies, but Foundation Food Group, which ran the plant, Packers Sanitation Services, which provided cleaning and sanitation services for the plant, Messer LLC, an industrial gas company, and the FS Group, a food processing equipment manufacturer based in Alabama. The big fines there for that uh, horrible tragedy. All right, number two, 15-year mortgage rates in the U.S. moved down to 2.12% this week. It's another all-time low. It's just amazing how low these rates are, and it's surely another factor leading to the boom in the housing market. We talked about it, I think it was just yesterday, in terms of prices, the number of deals, the advanced sales of new homes. That mortgage rate at 2.12%, again, an all-time low, uh, really driving the housing market. I'm still surprised at how low it's staying. It's been down for so long. I wonder if and when it'll ever go back up. Yeah, and, and, uh, it's, you know, and people locking in those mortgages at those low rates should be happy. All right, finally, the third most important business story of the day. According to an article on Bloomberg citing an unnamed source, China is considering asking tutoring companies to go nonprofit, which could destroy a $100 billion education tech industry. If those rules are implemented, it could mean that companies would no longer be allowed to raise capital or go public. Listed firms are also probably no longer be allowed to invest in or acquire other education firms. And foreign investment will be barred in the sector, uh, again, according to this unnamed source. So that caused these publicly traded companies, some of which we've talked about in the past, and some of which have been accused of being frauds anyway by some short sellers, uh, to just 
the stocks got obliterated. New Oriental Education Technology Group down 41% in Hong Kong. Coolern Technology Holdings down 28%. Tal Education down 47%. Um, uh, what company used to be called GSX Tech Edu, now called Go2 Tech Edu, dropped 53%. So yes, the communist government could go in and say, you're no longer allowed to be in this business. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Snap. Snap. The guys who bring us Snapchat. I haven't heard a peep about that in some time, just about since I was in high school. But shares were up 24% today. And for the last 12 months, shares are up 255%. What's the story with Snap? You're old. My house is filled with Snapchat talk when my kids are around. That's, that is their primary um, source of everything, it seems. Um, they reported a spectacular Quarter. Again, you said the stock was up 24%. That's a huge move in a single day, but that's because their revenues on a year-over-year basis were up 116% to $982 million. Their daily active users hit 293 million. That's 55 million more than they had a year ago. That's a 23% growth. Um, they're predicting a billion-dollar quarter in September, and as impressive as that was, Snap CEO Evan Spiegel says that they haven't even turned on advertising on some of their products, uh, including their popular TikTok knockoff known as Spotlight. Here's Evan Siegel. We've done some, you know, small testing um, with advertising and Spotlight so that, you know, we're ready uh, when, when we want to turn on. But for now, we're just really focused on, on the core experience. There's so much opportunity there. Um, we've got a great roadmap of improvements. And we just don't want the team to get distracted, uh, frankly, with, with monetization at this point when there's so much upside in the core user experience and core user engagement. So we've chosen to focus on the product experience for now. And then, you know, over time, we'll think about uh, monetization. But, you know, we're testing and learning. So we're ready uh, when the time comes. So that just to me says they've got another another gear to go in when they need to. Another major player in the social media space. Fascinating. Yeah. Corey, what is your next drill down? Clearfield. Clearfield. Trades with the ticker CLFD. Shares were up 17% today, and for the last 12 months, shares are up 205%. What's the story with Clearfield? So this is an interesting little Minnesota company, about 500 million market cap, at least it is now, thanks to that big rise in the stock that you mentioned. Um, and Clearfield designs and manufactures fiber optic stuff. Management of, of fiber optic systems, protection, delivery products, um, all for communication networks. And they just had a bang up business in the last year. They reported second quarter revenues up 49% on a year over year basis to $39 million. And what drove that business wasn't the big carriers. When you think of, you know, the tier one carriers like Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile, but it was the two tier two carriers. It was um, now these guys didn't list their customers, but tier two carriers are companies like Comcast or Cox or CTS um, they were asked about those and about their sort of attractiveness to the tier two carriers by a particularly smart analyst. That'd be my buddy, Tim Savageau. Um, And here is the Clearfield CEO responding to Mr. Savageau's question, Cheryl Berenek. Here she is. Yeah, we've been very pleased with the recognition um, by the tier two providers of the value proposition that Clearfield uh, offers. Um, in that, um, you know, in that, you know, most of the tier two providers did not have an extensive cyber uh, network previously. You know, these were organizations that had the opportunity to really look from the beginning at a craft-friendly, time-saving product line. 
uh, and their engineers have recognized the value that, that Clearfield and our product line can offer. So a big quarter for Clearfield and a big booming business in fiber for those tier two carriers. I love that. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Boston Beer. Boston Beer Company trades with the ticker SAM. Shares are down 25% today. Ouch. Looks like Boston threw it out with the T. And for the last 12 months, shares are up 9%. What's the story with Boston Beer Company? Yeah, no tea party here. No, no Sam Adams party either. That's why the ticker is Sam. These guys make Sam Adams. But they found out that hard seltzer is hard. It's this rapidly emerging category that had triple digit growth in, in the last year or so. Uh, they make the truly hard seltzer brand and they just did not live up to the high expectations for the growth in this business. The CEO is saying that they overestimated the growth of hard seltzer uh, in the second quarter, the demand for truly uh, hard seltzer. And it was a big disappointment because this had been a super hot category. Um, the outlook for hard seltzer is just uncertain because there's this market saturation. So many companies going after this hard seltzer market. And apparently uh, they're saying that, that the uh, consumers just really couldn't tell the difference from one product to the next. Um, and the question really is ultimately, will the growth uh, in this category resume and will there be a hard uh, seltzer shakeout? Here is the CEO of Boston Beer. In categories like this where there's high growth and everybody jumps in, it's not just in, in our industry, the more people, the more um, companies try to create something that's different, they create non-essential, you know, differences and, and benefits. And the problem is everything becomes the same. And it does, from a consumer perspective, look the same. And I think a lot of those brands will be gone. So um, I think retailers are seeing that now it's going to start happening in the fall. Still, the top two brands are 70 share of the category more or less, and that will continue. So I think that the smoke will start to clear. And, I, and we're seeing what we're hearing from the other third-party folks, they're saying basically Kager 15 to 25 over the next few years. So maybe they get back to that, but they were talking about really almost low double-digit, maybe even single-digit growth in this category that had been growing at like 70, 80% in recent, um, in recently, and uh, they're obviously not getting that anymore. Sounds like they're trying to fit truly hard seltzer into a space that's truly hard to get into. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Our guest up coming up next, Hood River Capital, is David Swank. He manages a five-star rated fund uh, with $3.5 billion in management, and he loves this interesting business called Surgery Centers. We'll drill down with David Swank. But first. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between. Through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at era, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And remember to join The Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. Link up with the Business Podcast Network on LinkedIn. And check out our website, bizpod.net, to let us know what stocks you think we should be drilling down on. Welcome back to The Drill Down. I'm joined right now by David Swank of Hood River Capital. And you're not anywhere near Hood River, are you? I am not. No, we're on the other side of the, con uh, of the country in Florida. Uh, also a lovely place to be. Um, you've brought an interesting company uh, for us to look at here uh, called Surgery Partners. Tell me about this company. How does this business work? 
Sure. So Surgery Partners is a leading operator of ambulatory surgery centers, or ASCs. So I guess a good place to start is what is an ambulatory surgery center? So So this is a medical facility in which patients can have surgeries or diagnostic procedures that don't require hospital admissions. So they walk in in the morning, they have the procedure done, and walk back out. Um, this is an industry that's, you know, the, the first ASC got started back in 1970, but it's really taken off in recent years. Um, and today there are about 6,000 ASCs in the U.S. And really they've grown thanks to technological advances, things like minimally invasive surgery and better anesthesia that have made it possible to do more surgeries in an outpatient setting. Now, uh, there is a big business. They did $1.9 billion in revenue last year, mm-hmm. um, $5 billion market cap, uh, and it's and uh, out of Tennessee, but they're, they're, uh, they've got centers all over the place. These are often regulated by the states, though, right? Uh, yes, they are. And so different rules in different, different places. Where is their business centered? So they're based in Nashville, but they have locations throughout the United States. They're in 30 different states. They're fairly... I'd say heaviest east of the Mississippi, but really it's a, it's a national business. Yeah. Um, And what's their growth been like? Sure. So they have had a a revenue compound average growth rate of about 15% uh, for uh, in the recent past. So it's, it's been good growth. So basically the sector has been doing the the industry has been doing really well because it's they're competing against hospital outpatient departments and hospitals are just notoriously bureaucratic kind of clunky organizations and ASCs tend to be much more efficient and that's really the key to to the industry. And we can talk about surgery partners specifically in a little bit, but basically because ASCs are more efficient than traditional hospital outpatient departments, there's a bigger pie for everybody involved. So um, they're able to provide service that has at least as good medical outcomes as traditional hospitals at lower price points to the end payers, the patients have lower out-of-pocket spending, and the doctors like it because they earn more also. So really, it's a win all around for everyone except the traditional hospitals. And with Um, those miserable experiences, who cares if they suffer? um, uh, What kind of surgeries are we talking about here? Okay, so these are uh, traditionally some of the, the less complex, less invasive things but in recent years, we've seen um, more complex surgeries start to migrate out of the traditional hospitals and into uh, companies like Surgery Partners. And a couple of the biggest surgeries are going to be cataract uh, surgeries and also colonoscopies. They, they do some diagnostics as well. well. And so, uh, I presume probably like cosmetic surgery as well. They they do some of that. Uh, that's for surgery partners. That's l- much less of what they do. Uh, surgery partners also is strong in musculoskeletal things, so orthopedics and sports medicine. And recently, 
there's been a change where the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services have started reimbursing for total hip replacements and total knee replacements. So those are some more complex surgeries that uh, have been been shifting their case mix favorably to a more uh, acute mix and a, a better revenue mix. What we've heard from other companies, um, United Healthcare just talked about this, in fact, is that there was a, a real, during COVID, a lot of people just chose to not do anything elective at all. And even some things that might've been considered uh, more urgent in a different time, they chose not to for whatever reasons, because they were afraid of going to hospitals during uh, during a pandemic. But that business seems to be coming back. Is that the case with these guys? Yeah, that's absolutely true. So the, the pandemic was was actually interesting. A lot of the bread and butter, lower acuity things that we just talked about, cataract surgery and and colonoscopies, people you know, that that wasn't tops on people's list to get dur- done during COVID. So they actually had capacity and, and revenues dipped during COVID significantly, as with most companies. But what they did see was because the, the more traditional hospitals were shut down and preserving capacity for COVID patients, some of the more complex cases did start to shift over into uh, surgery partners, and it provided a nice proof of concept that they could do that. And because of the cost savings that that payers get, you know, so so payers like either Medicare on the government side or or in Aetna or United Healthcare on the commercial insurance on the side. Private. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they're really trying, the payers are really trying to push as much volume as they can into these ambulatory surgery centers. And I, I think that this may give them more ammo to do that in the future. Do you, would you expect, therefore, that the percentage of revenue for these guys coming from the insurance companies and for the government, for that matter, would go higher? I mean, it's, it's pretty much most of the revenues anyway. There aren't a lot of self-pays. Uh, or other, I don't know what other is if it's not self-pay or insurance pay. Right. So, so right now the revenue barter? mix, maybe it's barter. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, wh- whatever it takes. Um, r- right now the revenue mix is a little over half private insurance and maybe 40% government, which is heavily Medicare. Yeah. And that's been um, kind of flat. I'm, I'm looking at the numbers in their, in their 10 K and it does indeed say 54% from, from a private insurance and 39% from government. Um, you know, I I think that they are they've been in recent years making really strong inroads with uh, private insurers, with the thinking that if they can drive the the private pay, the private pay volume, that the Medicare volumes will then follow. So that's really been the focus. So I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, to see that inching up as a, as a proportion of their mix. I've got to think that ACH is really good for these guys as well, because you just have more people with insurance coverage able to, you know, take care of themselves and, and have surgeries when they need it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. Um, you know, part of the story though is, you know, we've talked a little bit about the expansion of of uh, the types of cases that they can do into more complex things. Um, the The next wave of of the type of surgery that they can do though is probably going to be in the cardiac space because in just in the past couple of years, CMS has begun to allow that, and we've seen 
But I should back up a little bit. So you, because you've been talking about this, and I didn't make this as clear as I could. So CMS sure. is the very, very important government agency that decides how much to pay for uh, when things are covered by Medicare and whether or not certain things can be done by certain types of places or doctors, right? Yes, yes. And so, so, and so they're, so constantly, they're constantly making changes and alterations, and that can be, uh, pardon the pun, that can be life or death, death for, for a company that is providing a certain kind of service. That's ex- that's exactly right. So so when I talk about CMS, I, I'm talking about what what Medicare is likely to to pay, or and, or do. And what you're saying is that CMS is deciding that these ambulatory surgical um, uh, uh, companies can do certain procedures that they couldn't do in the past, and they're expanding that. Right. I mean, just since 2019, 23 cardiac catheterization and coronary interventional procedures have been approved for ambulatory surgery centers. So that's a a big new slug of business that surgery partners can go after. And right now, uh, they have cath labs in, I believe, five of their facilities, and they're going to be growing that quite. so, So they have 130 total ASCs, and they're going to be growing the proportion of those facilities that can do cardiac procedures uh, nicely in the coming years. So that's sort of one more of those growth triggers. Yes. What else does it take, though, besides getting the approval from CMS? They've got five. They can't turn them all on at once. Is it the relationship with the doctor who does that kind of work and get that doctor to want to use that surgery uh, center for his or her surgeries? That's exactly right. The the doctor relationships are really the key to success in this. It's it's uh, finding the surgeons who are going to have the busiest practices and and uh, have appropriate patients to do in an ASC and who have good relationships with with referring physicians. So you know it's you know actually building out the suites and buying the equipment. You know, it takes a little bit of money, but but that's much less proprietary than than the relationships. And are there ongoing revenue streams after they after they do the surgery for somebody? Are there are there follow ups? Are there you know is there, is there pharmacy involved? Is is there anything, or is this this is just a surgery box, if you will? Some have some do some pharmacy. Uh, there can be some some follow up revenue streams. Um, the but it's heavily driven by by just just the procedure volume. And uh, talk to me about management. Who, who are the people who run this thing? Is this, are these business people? Are these medical people? What's the story there? Sure. So these are business people. There was a new management team that came in several years ago, uh, led by Wayne Devite and the, C- the CFO is Tom Cowie. And they've done a great job uh, acquiring companies and integrating them. Um, you know, one of the reasons that I like this this stock is beyond the really good organic growth case. I believe that they have a really strong pipeline uh, of potential acquisitions out there. Right now, the top hand, really there are only a, a handful or so of companies in the space with scale uh, to, to really roll up the industry. And together, they they probably have about twenty percent market share. And right now, there are probably forty eight hundred or so single ASCs or small group ASCs that are out there that, frankly, could often use some more professional help 
managing themselves and, and getting into some of these newer areas. And uh, what the management team has been able to do on the acquisition front is historically buy uh, some of these one-offs, you know, what onesies, twosies, or or tensies, twenties, and uh, pay about seven times trailing EBITDA for them before they make any improvements. But then they've been able to go in and make improvements, make things operate more efficiently, make find supply chain efficiencies, and generally bump up both the revenues and the margins at these acquisitions. And I think that they have quite a nice runway to do that over the the uh, intermediate term here. And I think in the near term, you're likely to see, you know, I suspect you'll see some good announcements. The The CFO has recently at a conference been out there saying that their pipeline is of acquisitions is as good as it's ever been. And oh my God, if they can buy them at eight times EBITDA and the, the enterprise value of this company is 23 times EBITDA, that instantly adds to your share price, right? Uh, if you're looking at just from a pure stock, you know, uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. It's also interesting to me that they have a handful of that are licensed as hospitals. What's up with that? Sure. So those have the ability to keep, keep patients overnight. Um, and some of those are actually doing more in the, in the cardiac space. They tend to be more specialized and take the more complex cases. Um, interesting stuff. Interesting company. David, thank you so much. We appreciate it and appreciate your time. Bring surgery partners to us. David Swank is with Hood River Investments. All right, coming up next, the drill down bite, that one number that tells us so much. So we talked about the fact these guys have about 130. We want to know exactly how many facilities they have and how many are hospitals. That hospital number will have that for you, the drill down bite, when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot -E com. And you can listen to The Drill on any of your favorite podcast platforms, but please hit subscribe, follow us. You could even leave a review and let the rest of the world know why you're enjoying The Drill Down. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Right, we're back with the drill down and the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. There are 127 surgical facilities for surgery partners. 17 of those, that's your bite right there, 17. 17 are licensed surgical hospitals, allowing for different kind of stuff. And as uh, David Swank told us, overnight stays for those patients. So interesting company, interesting business, and one kind of poised for the return of surgery. Yes, it's happening. All right, thank you for listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network. Mm -hmm.